Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Oh man, I've already gone through this rant twice. I really feel like, <laughs> oh man, I wish we could have recorded on on Friday night. You would have had me just. I wish you told me I could have done a drunk tweet. Livid. Oh my one. god, yeah. poor Bronwyn is. Uh, I'll save it. I'll say, it. let's do this. Ready? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Everybody's ready. Yeah. Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome back to the Talking Comics Podcast. It's Wednesday, January 18th, 2023, and you're listening to episode number 581. I am your host, Steve Say, and joining me for this week's show are Mr. Bob Ryer. I gotta wish a happy belated birthday to my friend Ed on the 16th. He shares that birthday with director John Carpenter, but more importantly, tomorrow is Steve's birthday. Woohoo! Hey, Aaron Amos, how are you? I should really prepare for this show, huh? <laughs> Just <laughs> say comes with like a full on like you know church announcements every week. <laughs> okay, look, okay, okay. And all you need to say today was I came here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. What he said, quote Roddy Piper from They Live. There you there go. You have it. That's a horror movie. We'll be talking about more horror movies later in the show. Uh, But before we get to that, we're going to have some lightning rounds. We've got a listener question later. Uh, It's just the three of us this week. Low key. Uh, Loki is here too? No, not yet. No, we'll talk about Loki, I'm sure, uh, when Ant-Man and Quantumania comes out. Um, Man, that that movie. That movie looks good. I don't know, though. We'll see. We'll talk about it. Uh, we'll talk about the Ant-Man trailer. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur trailer oh that came out uh, and how I keep getting invites to their events, but can't accept any of them because they're not particularly what we do. But I'm angling to hopefully interview the cast, I hope. Yeah, anyway. Get Lawrence Fishburne. Come on, he can come on the show. I know. I know. Believe me. I'm I'm trying to position myself to do these things, but it's not up to me, unfortunately. <laughs> I probably shouldn't even be talking about it. Let's move Ooh. on. Uh, everybody else is obviously taking a little bit of downtime this week. We wish everyone well. And uh, if I'm not mistaken... Some people that have not been on the show for a little while will be coming back to the show next week. So look forward to hmm. that. Uh, also look Brian? forward to... No, <laughs> not Brian. Uh, we have a new episode of Thirsty on Tune on the feed that went live on Monday. This is a special bingo episode where Bronwyn and Chris put together bingo cards for me and for John, and they're up for doing it for other people too, uh, of stuff to read throughout the year. So I asked specifically for just a webtoon 
uh, bingo card. And so that's what I got. I got a whole bunch of recommendations. They go through each one of them, give you a little uh, bit of what they're about and designed a bingo card with me in mind, which is really awesome. They also did one for John. John's is more of a mixed bag of television stuff, novels, podcasts, webtoons. Uh, it's a really, really fun show. And Bron, Bronwyn and Chris, of course, uh, do bingo cards for each other as well. Uh, it's a really fun episode if you want to like dip your toe into the webtoon or into the, the weird and wacky minds of <laughs> those two people. Um, it's a bit of a rabbit hole, but I enjoy it. And yeah, so go and check that out. That's on the feed right now. And then, of course, you're listening to the main show, which uh, we should probably kick off with some lightning rounds. Uh, Bob, I want you to go first this week. Oh, I think I know why. (laughs) Sorry, Aaron. (laughs) Just rude. Well, look, it's because I'm going to start with Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur number two by Jordan Cueco, Alba Glez, Jose Martin Jr., KJ Diaz, Travis Lanham. Well, influencer and Cree mad scientist, OMG, Olivia's plan for world domination is going fairly well as she's recruited and or kidnapped, take your pick, lots of New Yorkers into her Olive Army. And, well, the problem with that is that also includes Devil Dinosaur, because nefarious means are at play. Shenanigans are at work. Look, a very enjoyable second issue, if you if you love the first, utterly charming, but also with some lovely, lovely messaging about self-image, Yes. And that's what you want out of uh, of Moon Girl. It's almost a blink and you missed it moment, but it is there and it is great. Yeah. Oh, if you stop to look at it, I did. It was just maybe I I stopped to get another cup of coffee, but it was. Oh, oh, okay. I'm I'm with you here. Yeah, we'll talk more about it in a second. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Uh, It's okay. Monica Rambo, Photon number two, Eve L. Ewing, Yvonne Fiorelli, Luca Maresca, Carlos Lopez, and Clayton Cowles. Opens on a mystery as Monica finds herself on her boat instead of out in deep space where she had headed to clear her mind at the end of the last issue. Things just get weirder and more cosmic from there. as She takes a sideways step into what seems her past, but considering which powerful entity shows up, maybe not. Look, last issue really just teed up the ball and... In this one, Evel Ewing just drove it, I'm sorry, sports ball reference, straight down the fairway. She gave <laughs> us a wonderful look into different sides of Monica's personality last time. So here we're already into her vibe, and you understand what's happening around us. Here's hoping this miniseries, as well as the Marvel's film, which is coming out just after this wraps up, I really hope it brings new attention to Monica. She's been so underutilized over the years. It's criminal, frankly. Hmm. Um, thanks to Al Ewing for the Mighty Avengers and the Ultimates or whatever. But I mean, come on. It's it's Monica Rambo. She's been around 40 years at this point. Do it. Okay. As you'd imagine, I loved the first issue of the Avengers War Across Time miniseries. Paul Levitz, Alan Davis, Rochelle Rosenberg, and Corey Pettit. It takes place just after, oh boy, 1964's Avengers number 11, 
where Kang creates a robotic duplicate of Spider-Man to lure the team into a trap. Of course, Kang hates losing, so here he's back at it almost immediately with a new and more powerful underling, the Hulk. A quick aside, at this point in time, sorry, that's a really bad pun that I shouldn't have done, but anyway, <laughs> the Avengers lineup is the Wasp, Giant Man, Iron Man, Thor, and Captain America, and this story is told in that classic fashion. Hmm. Paul Levitz endeavors to keep things kind of period accurate in terms of what Stan Lee would have wrote way back when. And Alan Davis's art, since it's always been touched by the hand of God and meeting, you know, Jack Kirby in this, in this case, it's perfect for me. I know that everyone's into this thing. Not everyone's an Alta Carca like a cranky old Uncle Bob, but for those looking for a slice of nostalgia, but also with a modern twist, Check this out, even if only in the trade that'll come, you know, 12 months down the road. Okay, here, here's something brand new because, well, I got to do that once in a while. Black Cloak <laughs> number one. Now, I picked this up without knowing a whole lot about it just because I'm a Kelly Thompson fan. Mm -hmm. And we do it. It's Kelly Thompson, Meredith McLaren on art, Becca Carey on letters. Now, I opened it up and... It's a post-apocalyptic magical fantasy piece. And I got to admit, I was a little... Look, I, I probably shouldn't say disappointed because that, that's too strong. But those genres aren't in my wheelhouse, generally. Mm -hmm. However... However... It, it quickly adds sci-fi film noir murder mystery to the menu. Yes. And buttressed by the incredible art of Meredith McLaren... Mm -hmm. I am certainly hooked. We are set in a post-war world. It's in the city of Kiros. And Black Cloak detective Phaedra Essex investigates the murder of a royal who's died under unseemly circumstances. And that Phaedra knew the deceased is the first of many twists that worked their way through this double-sized image first issue. And I got to tell you, I highly recommend it by your cranky old Uncle Bob. And uh, there's a, <laughs> there's a, Steve, I know you got, you, you've read this as well. I, I got a very big saga vibe from this. Ooh. And you can't say anything more highly than saga, right? Interesting. Okay. So, so I'm only about halfway through Black Cloak. Ooh. So I'm on I'm on page like 28 or so. Uh, I was reading it before we started recording, and then looked at the clock and was like, "Oh God, if I don't move on to something else, it's um, a dense issue. It really is. it's 58 pages. Yeah, like I, I I hit the screen expecting it to be like in four pages I'll be done, and then I saw that there was a whole half of the other of the story left, and I was like, "All right, never never mind, can't finish that up." But what I read, I. I think I think your your summation of it is warranted. Like even I was kind of taken aback and didn't know what to expect. This was very much a didn't read anything about it, bought it because Kelly Thompson As and Meredith should. McLaren. Yeah. Uh, I've loved Meredith McLaren for probably about as long as we've been doing this. I've been following her on social media. Uh, I've read um, a bunch of her comic book work in the past. I've brought a couple of them to the show over the years 
Uh, I've already talked about her clever Instagram where she draws herself catching yeah. Pokemon in the real world, which is a lot of fun. And um, I just I love her style overall. It's kind of haunting. It's a little anime, very, very fantasy based. Um, and when she her something about her color palette, I find very, very, very soothing, almost in a um, like an Agnes, like a muted Agnes Garboska kind of way. That's perfect. That is absolutely perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So I love her and I came on, came on to this, you know, just expecting the world, but I found that like, I really had to settle into it. I like the way the world is presented. I like the idea of somebody telling me a story about a society who defeated the big bad. And now that all is said and done, the the people who won all have to just live with each other after the fact. And you would yeah. think that this, they always paint it as it being some kind of utopia and happily ever after. But after so long, people are people and, you know, you don't like your neighbors because they did this, that, or the other thing, or it's a, a blending of backgrounds and you have, uh, you know, racism coming into the mix and mm-hmm. stuff like that, that give anyone long enough within close proximity to one another, they will start to war with one another. And so now murder is introduced into this environment and we're off trying to solve the case with a really fun cast of characters. I like, I like all of the characters that I've read so far. Um, I think it's really cool. I love the look of it, of course. And I'm just excited to have Kelly Thompson on something that isn't Captain Marvel. You know, she was everywhere for a good number of years and then seemed to have kind of taken a little bit of a break. And now she's back with something that I've not seen her do yet. And I'm, I'm excited about the potential of that. Oh, absolutely. I used to joke. I I do my lightning round every the Kelly Thompson corner. Mm -hmm. She's with Captain Marvel and black widow and Deadpool. And I want to read more. And then she went Substack. Yes. And that's what I think this first premiered there, but it didn't matter. I, I needed to read more Kelly Thompson beyond just saying Captain Marvel's wonderful. She's done a great job over there. Yeah. But she has this quirky sense of humor as well as sense of social balance. Mm-hmm. And that's all here. And paired with this artwork of Meredith McLaren, at the face of it, all you do is open the book and look at artwork. It's kind of cartoony, but in an anime sense, just as you say. Yeah. There's depth to it. The emotion in those faces, the body language. Yeah. And there, a lot of the characters... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go, no, go, go, go. I'll just, there's, a, there's, some, there's a little bit of an almost amorphous quality to some of the body types. Like, there are mermaids in this. And the way that they kind of flop and move around and come out of the yep. water and their spines bend in interesting ways uh, really do lend to the emotionality, um, especially if they're in distress and you get that like back arching up with the mouth screaming with the mm-hmm. bubbles coming out and Don't stuff like that. Don't put your hands it's, in the mouth, they say in the book. Yeah, it's really, it's really effective stuff, but then you have more human-like characters. They're not humans, but um, it's, she has a real like hard fantasy edge to what she's doing, but it's, it's even in the robotics characters yeah. that she draws as well. If you read uh, the series hinges, there's a lot of that sort of thing, which, which in... is, is by the way, uh, hyped at the end of this one. Yeah. 
if you have it physically anyway, that there's an ad for hinges. It's so it's real good. Yeah. It's in the review. As I was, was going to say, John Byrne said years ago, I can fill every background with every Kirby machine and things and bricks and whatever. And I can fill up all my mistakes. No one will ever see what's, what's gone wrong. It is very hard to draw peanuts or Calvin and Hobbes. Hmm. If you're doing simple, everything has to be perfect. Yeah. This art-wise black cloak, I'm anointing it perfect. You know what I love? I love the word bubbles uh, for the mermaids and how each one of them yes. gets their own color. Thank, thanks to Becca Carey on that one, I'm saying. Yeah. I love that. I love that that panel. It's so good. And th- they're also the sirens, right? Because there's a whole thing when our detective, one of our detectives goes to the point to look uh, to investigate. Mm-hmm. Ear protection must be worn. And yep. the sirens, the mermaids are now very loud. Something's going on with them. Yep. So many layers to this. I I adored this. And considering that, I opened it up. It was like, oh, no, not one of these. Not one of these. I should trust <laughs> Kelly Thompson. Just we had a lot of that sort of thing for a good, like, two that's to true. three years. And it was, it's territory that's been well-worn, especially in this medium. And finding a unique world to set those stories in can be difficult sometimes, but these really creative individuals, they find ways to do it. Um, yeah. New masters that Aaron brought to the show. Sure. You want to talk about sci-fi world building. Holy crap. Mm-hmm. There's some really mm-hmm. good stuff going on in there. And this is similar in that vein. Um, do you read this too, right, Aaron? I did. So here we go. I had... <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I had a a path of emotions that I traveled when I was reading this. So the first was before I uh, opened it up. It was excitement, Kelly Thompson, let's go, let's do this, let's see what we got here. And so then, and I, I all whenever I read number ones, I always look at the page count, so I was prepared. Okay, oh. um, you know, because it's just a thing. I always look at the page count, um, so I was like, okay. 60 pages there you have it so i was just like all right kelly thompson i get into it i see the world building and at first i was like this is this seems familiar to me and then it reminded and i realized it reminded me of you may remember i think i brought to the show from flame con i think it was a book called hexed or hex uh something like that yes yes um reminded me of that um in the world building of you know magic being you know and policing and people's roles in, you know, in the magical world and et cetera, et cetera, different factions and what their objectives are. Um, so I was reading, I was reading and I'm like 15 pages in, I'm like, okay, we're still building this world. Um, there's some things happening. There's some little kernels here. I was like, hmm. And I looked down, I was like, I'm 24 pages in. I'm like, all right, there's some things going on here. I see what's happening. I see where we're trying to get there. But I was sort of like, I feel like I'm waiting a long time for this, but I'm going to try. I'm going to have faith. I'm going to trust. So we're about 30 pages in and I'm like, all right. Uh, something's happened. I was like, all right, we're picking up. We're, we're going. We're doing this. <laughs> and I was like, oh, OK. Then it kind of. All right. No more world building a little bit more, more background, more history and, 
you know, et cetera, et cetera, of that, of the main character. Well, I'm assuming the main character, some of the past. Like, okay. Okay. So then we're 58 and we get to page 58 and I'm like, <laughs> all right. I, I don't know if I completely understand this, but I'm going to figure out when issue three, because technically this was issues one and two. Um, when issue three comes out and then I turn to page 59, I'm like, well, damn. Well, look at that. (laughs) Okay. Well, now I guess we'll have something to kick off and see if you don't know what we're talking about because you're only 20 pages in. But I was like, oh, yo, I just found a Peach Momoko variant cover. So I I, kind of had emotions around it where I was sort of up and down, up and down. Then I hit that last thing. I was like, okay, so this is going to be the thing where it sort of, you know, someone pulled the crank and it kickstarted the whole storyline. So now I'm, I'm, I am definitely looking forward to number two, because as I was going through this, I didn't get to that point that, that, that threshold where I'm just like, I'm 100% in. And then I get to the last page and I'm like, well, damn, okay, now I see, I see what's happening. So now I'm definitely looking forward to number two or number three, I guess it would be. In theory, right. So, yeah. So, yeah, but it's, it's, Kelly Thompson, like I said, I, I I give a lot of faith with Kelly Thompson because I do think that they like to. I always think about this, like like when we we talk about TV shows from the past, um, whereas these days TV shows have to prove themselves in the first episode, or otherwise they'll be canceled mm-hmm. by the third. Um, she doesn't necessarily subscribe to that, um, mm-hmm. and she will lean into because I I do remember us saying with this current run of. Captain Marvel, I think some of us are just like, eh, I don't know. You know, with the issues one and two, we're just like, eh, I don't know if we're all, all in. But then, I think as that we one of us was Joey, but I, I may be yeah. wrong. Ooh, the shame. But I'm just saying. But, um, but, <laughs> but as saying. we got further into it, you know, I think all of us sort of fell into it and we're like, okay, we see what she's doing there. We right. know well, the it, bar it was, scenes, the parties, it's, it's and the gross familiar, It's familiar ground here as well, and certainly with Captain Marvel, that, but then there's the Kelly Thompson twist. Yeah. Hmm. And she yeah. she gets these characters that she's writing, whether they're somebody else's or her own, that I can spin this a little bit. And so you're expecting this, mm-hmm. and you get something else. And whether it was Natasha or Carol or here Phaedra, I, yeah. No, I, I think you said a lot when you when you compared it to Saga. I don't know if I'm there yet, but I will. I do have expectations that in the next issue or two, we will see that connective tissue all make sense and be able to have those moments where we go back to issues one and two and three or whatever and say, oh, ah, now that makes sense. Yeah. You know, now that now this clicks. So that's what I, I believe is going to happen. So right. I, 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 I knew I threw Saga out there and, and that's that's the highest praise but yes. if we were we were, if we could even throw ourselves back to when we read saga one or two or three or whatever did we feel the same way as we did 60 issues in well i i read them i didn't start reading them until it was like 60 issues in so oh, well it's okay it's okay i binged oh, so. we went on that journey together yeah, issue I by binged. issue no, I, I was, I was listen, I was there with you. Listen, I know you were a listener back when when Stephanie was Saga. Yep, I was yep. listening, and I remember saying to myself, hmm, "I need to pick those up." And I, I still did. have a bunch of the first prints 
of Saga number one hanging oh, around. You. I, I have the I have the promo poster. Was that? I picked up every trade when they came up. Never read a one. I got. Uh, I have the promo poster, like the one teasing it before it had even hit shelves. Awesome. It's, uh, yeah, it's good stuff. I still have all that crap. So Monica Rambo photon number two. Yes, let's go. <laughs> let's go to Monica. Issues one and two were entirely different types of books. Yes. 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 Agreed. Entirely different books. Issue one played out almost exactly as they said it would at NYCC. Um, and I believe Eve said that she was going to focus on Monica in the not just the struggle to be a hero, but the struggle to be a black woman with the responsibilities that black women have that you know, are not universal. Um, so I absolutely saw that come through in the first one. Issue two was what? Exactly. <laughs> so, and I, I enjoyed them both. Um, I enjoyed that our special guest is non-binary. Yeah. Um, which I thought was great, which I, I, I didn't click. It didn't click on me for the first time because I, I don't always, you know, look at the artists I'm going through. Some, I sort of do that. I sort of do like a double run. Like I'll go through the dialogue and then I'll go through again and sort of look at the art and the dialogue. So it didn't click until I looked at the, I'm like, Oh, Oh, okay. Now I get it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. A lot going on there. Lot going, lot on. going on. So yeah, it, it was, yeah. I, Let's not spoil. Cause on. I tried yeah. not to, but yeah. Okay. A lot going on. <laughs> Lots going on and some connective tissues to some other things that we just finished reading. So yes. That's all I got to say. But you, you, like, you, <laughs> love, you love what Eve L. Ewing is doing here, right? Because I, I am. I do. I do. Like I said, though, it was the, the well, first of all, I wondered if I had missed an issue. <laughs> it like, could nope. feel that way. <laughs> I was like, nope, nope, this is number two. Okay. Um, yeah, because uh, one felt more like a slice of life. Right, getting to know the person kind of it, thing. Yeah. It felt like yeah. the hero's journey beginning. Yeah, there you what go. that first there issue go. felt like to me. It's like a 40-year-old hero, though. Like I know, but... The, yeah, but like journey repositioning right that hero yeah. for the upcoming movie, whatever, we you know, whatever yeah. small plans they have, their agenda in addition to releasing a new comic book, like we got to set people up for this movie coming out, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and then it's like issue two was we're gonna put you right in the middle of your next adventure, um, and it works because I do I, I definitely sense that there's gonna be a we didn't we didn't experience all the things from the first issue without there having some some connection here and if you remember what our guest kept saying about what the draw was I'm sure all of it is gonna be related it was just interesting to see how jarring a shift it was from one to two but that I'm certain is going to sort of circle back around and make make a full a complete circle in story uh, down the line. Hmm. I. <laughs> Here we go. This. <laughs> I'm having the same hangups with this that I had with. Um... Oh, God, what the hell. We just read it. Something beyond. Defenders, defenders, defenders beyond. Oh, uh, that beautiful. might not be the best That's example. What you should have. No, 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 no. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I am in. Oh, look, blanket statement. I am enjoying this, but I was definitely 
thrown by the the change in tone from one issue to the other. It's not where I expected this to go. And they do the the very thing that I think I talked about on the last episode where I turn the page and they do this this final page reveal of, you know, hey, it's so and so. And I feel like I'm supposed to know who this person is and have absolutely no clue who they're talking about. And I kind of just have to throw my arms up and go like, well, I, I guess this is special for someone. Wikipedia. So, yeah, it doesn't have the same effect, though. And like, but that's I mean, that's cool, though. That's 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 a, a, comics do that all the time. So I don't and really look, know how much to, to Eve Ewing's credit or the editor's credit or the publisher's. This book is filled with footnotes. Hmm. So Look. the first time that character shows up, see Secret Wars one and two for some of these shenanigans. It says right mm-hmm. on the page. Yeah, yeah. Right okay. There. Who? My other question: When the the team shows up, who is the guy that isn't Thor <laughs> but looks like Thor? I think that's well, Thor. Were you talking about the Black Knight or Doctor Druid? It's probably yeah. the Black Knight, I guess. Yeah, that's Dane Whitman, who's teased in The Eternals. Yeah. Who goes back, I mean, the original oh. Black Knight into the 1950s. But that's Dane Whitman, the Black Knight. That's, that's Kid Harrington. Kid Harrington. Yeah. Sort of, right. But it's okay. Dane Okay. 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 Who holds uh, you the know. Ebony Blade and Rise Aragorn and blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah, that's the Black right. Knight. Okay. Okay. The yeah, guy with the no, 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 there is actually a fake Thor in there. There is a Thor in there. There is a Thor is, on the team. Yeah, there is a Thor on the team. It, what do you mean by fake Thor? That's not Thor? Well, I'm sorry. I kept, I, I say fake Thor because I always think about um, uh, the Infinity Gauntlet thing where fake Thor was there. Um, it wasn't the real Thor. It wasn't, it wasn't Odinson. It was some other guy that was pretending to, well, not pretending to be Thor, but Eric we Masterson we're going for? Thank you. I think okay. so. I think that's what his name was. Okay. Where he was, but, he was but Thor, this, this but is not, the team not that, Thor Odinson. Right. This is the team that Monica led way back, way back when. Okay. That explains it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I am enjoying it. I am enjoying it. I, I don't love it yet, but I, I am enjoying it. I think there are a lot of wacky things going on and I can appreciate wacky. I just need to, I need that issue where it all makes sense to me, or I've spent enough time in the situation that I have no choice, but to understand it. We'll see what happens first. Well, as we get to the last page, Jericho drum, mm-hmm. you know who Jericho drum is, right? Nope. That was the character that they were like, hey, look, it's Jericho Drum. And I went, Jericho Drum is yeah. Brother Voodoo. Brother Voodoo. He's in all the X-Men books. Steve, you do we're not on a first is. name basis, man. I don't know. <laughs> you got you to gotta look at, he's in, um, isn't he in um, Strange Academy? Probably. Yes. Yeah. He's a, he's a headmaster now in Strange he's Academy. Headmaster Drum. Well, look at him. He's <laughs> look got at the white go. stripe. He's got Moving the white stripe up. in his head. Yeah. Listen. <laughs> It was one panel, damn it. <laughs> but I was thrilled by that last panel. 
I know, and that's the difference between <laughs> people being familiar and people being like, oh. So, spoilers for the last page. Of- Sorry, yeah. yeah, I shouldn't have done that. I love him in Strange Academy. I think he's great. I did not put two and two together because of the whole, his actual name and not his superhero name. If he had come out and introduced himself as his superhero name, I probably would have been like, hey! But instead, Also, in the like, first Doctor what? Strange movie, by reference... Oh yeah, Master yeah. Drum gets murdered defending the Sanctum. What? They've already killed him in the MCU. Boo! <laughs> yeah, that Boo. doesn't mean. Look, he's Mystic. He could be back. He was. His brother was already dead. His brother's dead spirit inhabited. Oh, well, I got that whole brother brutal. Yeah, there's that. a. That there's the first a. Time they, is that the first time they killed the black character before they even made it on screen? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, God. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. Free frigid. Oh, I'm calling it. God, at least let us show up. It's, oh, maybe it's defrosting. I don't know. We got to call it something. Gosh, take a how about steps backwards. Yeah. Oh, oh God, boy. what's his name again? Jer- Jericho, Jericho Jer- Drum, brother, brother Voodoo, brother Voodoo. Justice for Jericho Drum. <laughs> Fuck. All right, we'll pour I'm one out. Saying. Hold on, we don't um, even this, get is, this is potential anymore. potential uh, episode material. <laughs> I'm like, was oh, he black? God. Oh, yeah, he's dead. Oh, man. All right. Um, <laughs> uh, now, Steve, you did read Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur? I did read Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Uh, and it's it's wonderful. And, you know, we, we talked a little bit about it before. But um, that moment with Tasha and her admitting that she has some of the Olivia products because her mom is trying yep. to get her to tame and wear her hair in different ways and this this concept is foreign to uh lunella for you know probably a couple of reasons she's pretty tone deaf when it comes to like what normal people do because she's so busy being smart but um it's this really i mean at least for me like a really impactful little moment it's on it's only takes up one page and it kind of feels like a blink and you missed it point but when you remember the age bracket that they're aiming for with this particular series and this character and with the launch of the moon girl and devil dinosaur series that's coming to disney plus and other uh disney platforms and everything i think it's really cool that they that they brought this up and they're they're paying service to this kind of thing um i imagine a kid reading this and seeing something like that, you know, that kind of representation is really, really important in this type of media, in any media, really. But I love that it was there. And and I, I have a sinking suspicion that this book will do more of that as it continues. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to this being a platform for that sort of thing. Well, the line is about to look more presentable in quotes. Wow. Yeah. Ooh, wow. Shade. Yeah. Yeah, she admits to it, and then she said, uh, she's talking about her mom. She said, I told her I could control my powers, but that didn't matter. She wanted my natural hair to look more presentable, quote unquote. So I'd get into uh, to a fancy private school, and then uh, Lunella says, presentable to who? That's messed up. Stuff like that shouldn't matter. And then Tasha says, yeah, well, well it does. It does. There are layers there that yeah. most, many yeah. people, many readers won't even understand. So I'm I saying, read it, and I can tell you, there's there's layers there that go back to the relationship between black women and their hair, um, and perception in the world. And it is, um, a thing. yeah, 
last line I'll read from that page uh, directly after she says, well, it does. says, that's why we've got to support each other to take pride in who we are, even when the world won't. Mm. So it's good stuff. Just look up so so a book about a 13 year old, really smart girl with a giant dinosaur has so much to say. Gotta mm-hmm. love it. Would you, um, Aaron, would you say, look up what? I look up the inventor of the hot comb. <laughs> there you go. Just saying. But um, I mean, overall, I think the the new Moon Girl series is fantastic. It looks incredible. This artist is, I love it. I love it so much. It, it matches the the Moon Girl Devil Dinosaur tone. Um, I feel bad for Devil Dinosaur. Devil Dinosaur hasn't had a whole lot to do in these two issues just yet. And now yet. he's kind of involved in some shenanigans by the end. And uh, I just want my boy to, to eat his cookies and have a break. Just have a good time in the park. I'm catch sure a frisbee. He will. I'm sure he'll get he'll get a run through the dog park. You know, it'll be great. But yeah, I think it's. I mean, as a as a fan of this character for ever since the launch of uh, Brandon Montclair and Amy Reader's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur a couple years ago, it's really it's a really fascinating read for me to see her interacting with so many people, because even though she she did obviously speak with people in the in the other series. She actually has friends in this and she's making an effort to kind of keep it all together and and keep everyone out of harm's way. And that was not always her priority back then. She was always sort of bratty, sassy, self-centered. She's she's extremely self-absorbed, but Mm -hmm. she's also... She's so intelligent, right? She's the, the smartest character in the Marvel Universe. Yes. Uh, at least she was the last time I checked. And when your brain works that way, it's we see it in Reed Richards sometimes where it's very little. It's very hard to concern yourself with stuff outside of what's going on in your brain and what you're noodling on to try and save the universe from eating itself. You know, now, some of this, and, I think, uh, definitely not some of this, a lot of this, most of it probably comes from her parents. Yeah. We're trying to make sure she's still Lunella, 13 year old girl. And, and, and that in this series, it comes about because she decides to create a society to protect those like her who are sort of out of the mainstream, which is now a double layered sort of thing in this roller derby thing. Please. You now have the fun of that and the layers of serious of how people are marginalized. It's just brilliant work here. Just brilliant. Absolutely. And it's a kid's book in theory. I'm mm-hmm. so touched by it. Now two issues in, I'm thrilled. I'm absolutely thrilled by this. I would have loved to see uh, I want to see deal with uh, the Avengers versus X-Men thing. The AXE. I would have loved to see her deal with the uh, judgment kind of like, I'm just Shut them all down in out. a second. Okay. Uh, we might as well talk about it now. We were going to put it in the news section, but we're already talking about Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Did oh, you guys get a go, chance please. to check out that trailer? Oh. Yes, I did. How amazing does that look? It's funny. I have a good friend, <laughs> Sam, who is not a super, super comics fan. He comes to, uh, to Awesome Con and stuff with me, and he's you know, hung out with myself and Carolyn. So he's sort of like a, a cafeteria-style nerd where he sort of picks okay. and chooses the things picks that and he chooses. wants to. Yeah. Um, but he won't shut up with me to me about Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur on Disney Plus. He just keeps nice. it looks so good. I'm like, we had that conversation a week ago. Why are you repeating yourself? Um, but <laughs> he's really, really, really 
really excited about it. Now, granted, this is a 53-year-old man. <laughs> wow, about, not so, the target audience. You know, <laughs> not the target audience. And that's why I bring it up. So I think it's going to have an appeal that sort of, you know, goes beyond, you know, maybe what your normal Disney Plus viewer might, where this type of, of content might expect. So I'm his excitement got me a little bit more excited about it. I mean, not that I wasn't excited about it, but he was really excited about it. So like, yeah, we'll see where mm-hmm. it goes. I'm excited myself. Yeah. It's got a really amazing team behind it. The animation is off the wall. It looks really, really, really good. Uh, I did not know that it's coming to Disney plus. I thought that it was just coming to a, an aspect of Disney that I didn't have access to, but um, the first six episodes are coming to Disney Plus on February 15th. Uh, it'll be on February 10th for other uh, Disney outlets. Um, yeah, I like I said, I keep getting emails from them. I've written about this uh, show a couple of times for work, and I have made it abundantly clear to them that I am a big fan and uh, I'm trying to angle to get in there and maybe talk to some of these people. You, you tell them you're you're you've been reading since issue one back in the day. Oh, believe me, Cameron. Cameron's Cameron's my person on the inside. They know. <laughs> they know. Okay. I've told them twice. <laughs> like, oh yeah. By the way, again, I am a big fan of the show. You are almost guaranteed to get a very you know glowing interview <laughs> from me if you want to do something like that. Just saying. So. <laughs> Like I said, I don't get to pick and choose these things. I kind of have to, I, I get offers and then I submit the ones that I want to do and I get a yes or a no. And then we go from there. But uh, my Weird Al interviews went off really well. And the the Weird Al movie just won a People's Choice Award. See? Yeah. So you I should, you should throw that into the mix too. I might get you a People's Choice Award. Just saying. Yeah. Best TV, best made for TV movie or something like that. Best movie made for television. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, that movie is awesome though. If you haven't seen the Weird Al biopic, you should check it out. It's very funny, very weird, very weird Al. <laughs> All right. Uh, what else do we got here? Anything? I think we covered it. I closed that. I didn't close it. Here it is. Hooray. All right. Uh, Aaron, why don't you go next? <laughs> All right. So we got a couple of things here to talk about that are sort of linked to what we've already talked about, but we'll get there. So my first book. Uh, the Dead Lucky Number Five, Melissa Flores, French Carla Magno. Uh, so our hero BB, you know, having had a little bit of a breakthrough in the previous issue, uh, where she began to understand the impact that the trauma she experienced while serving in the military uh, is related to her powers and the way her powers manifest themselves, um, and sort of helped her get a little bit of a, a stronger footing and in, in, uh, with relation to her power set. Um, Fortunately, she's not given really a whole lot of time to catch her breath because the big bad's still out there. Uh, the Morrow Foundation or the Morrow Organization is pretty much stepping up their plans to take full control of San Francisco and especially Chinatown. And BB now has to figure out what she's going to do to save her city as well as to save the people she loves. And when I say taking over, it's basically a privately owned militia scenario that's taking control of crime prevention and we know how that always goes yeah so 
Now, with that in mind, she's got to make some alliances. Alliances with people that she's not always so sure she can trust, and she probably historically wouldn't have worked with in the past, but her options are few, and she's got to figure it out. So um, she's, she's going in there, but her objective is to see if she can maintain control of the situation, you know, so it doesn't get so far out of hand um, and sort of outsmart uh, the powers that be that are trying to do the... Uh, the deeds to San Francisco. The artwork for this issue continues to be amazing. Um, it's a combination of, um, also the book is a combination of the, the good old fashioned superhero stuff combined with the focus on mental illness, you know, the relationship between the 1% and the 99% and how that impacts people of color and all, and it's all very front and center. So I'm really looking at that um, because you have a, a variety of, I wanna say communities of people that are being, you know, discussed in this in, the, in this book which and if you don't pay attention you probably won't recognize it at, fir at first because it seems like it's just a, a part of the fabric but it's it's there it's all there um looks like we're gearing up for a pretty pretty epic conclusion or at least to this arc i'm not sure how far it's going to go but at least to this arc and i'm very much looking forward to seeing how things play out now that bb sort of found her footing uh because she seemed a little lost the first you know three or four issues Next book, Wildcats from DC. Wildcats number three, Matthew Rosenberg, Elmer Santos. This book has actually turned out to be an incredibly fun ride. Um, hmm. So far, hmm. I'm following characters that I have a general knowledge of, but no real history with them. And we have Grifter, who continues to lead this, uh, I'm going to say it, ragtag uh, group of agents or maybe mercenaries who, uh, who can really tell, to be honest with you. Um, they're working on behalf of an organization called the Halo Group that seems to have the best interest of the planet in mind. They give me a lot of authority vibe, to be very honest with you. Um, not really sure if they're going about it in the most scrupulous way, but they got they got some things going on. Um, the relationship between these characters is a 180 degree shift from uh, the camaraderie you might uh, expect from a team like the Justice League or, or the Avengers. Um, they are not kind to each other. <laughs> they just aren't. Um, and it sometimes comes out in the most hysterical ways, but there is an undercurrent of respect that they have for each other, but they would never tell each other that. So, you know, they'll never know. Each issue so far has been a thrill ride. You're essentially trying to buckle up um, and, and sort of understand and learn a little bit, a little bit more about some of these characters, because it is a scenario where, and this may be one of the flaws, um, it is a scenario where there are a lot of characters and if they're characters that you aren't super familiar with, it does become a little bit of a chore to try to, to keep up with them, um, keep up with who each character is, especially when we have a scenario where one of the characters kind of goes all Doctor Who on you um, and, and re, re comes back a little bit different. So that's a thing. Um, artwork, again, really effective. It's very dynamic artwork, um, and it really aids in the action scenes quite a bit um, in this book. So I'm, I, I look forward to this. I, I realized as I was picking up the book or clicking on the button rather uh, on comiXology um, that I was really looking forward to reading it because I've enjoyed the, the sort of thrill ride of the first two. The last book I have here is Miles Morales, Spider-Man number two. We got Cody Ziegler and Doug Ruin. So this book has certainly taken a turn from what we were given um, in the first few incarnations. And I say that because I think this is the first time it is being written or Miles is being written from the perspective of someone or in the voice of someone who actually grew up in, in, in Brooklyn. Um, Cody Ziegler um, is really taking some efforts to make sure that the, the language, the, the style of communication, 
Um, even the emotional beats are a little bit closer to what you might expect if you grew up in the environment that we're seeing that Miles grew up in. And it takes a little bit of a time uh, of an effort to sort of adjust to that in the first issue for certain, yeah, maybe the first issue. But once you realize that's what's happening, it it makes sense because he is not from the neighborhood that a Peter Parker is from. He's not from a neighborhood that a Kamala Khan is from. He's from Brooklyn, you know, and he's Brooklyn and Harlem Spider-Man. Um, in fact, we have a guest in this issue who I don't want to spoil it, but, you know, she may have defended things at one point. Um, <laughs> so I'm just saying. Um, so, yeah, I really, really, really enjoyed that little guest spot. Um, but they actually say this, you know, in, in the issue. And I was actually pretty happy to have that little um, speech uh, in there. It was maybe like a couple of uh, word bubbles, but it, it mattered and made sense and it helped reset my perspective. So Miles has come to terms essentially with the difficulty of living a double life. Um, and he's been struggling because as he's been, they continue the idea of him journaling, which has really given you a lot of exposition and background into what he's really thinking, which I think is a good idea. But he's continued to state that he feels a little lost. And it seems like he's going into a bit of a depression. And his way of dealing with that is to really dig deep into the Spider-Manning of it all, which unfortunately has a result of him pushing away the people that care about him. His friends, his on again, off girl girlfriend, who essentially told him that he's going through an existential crisis and she doesn't really care. So, <laughs> so, so to just get over it, she's like, Rude. process it the way that you process it and move on. Um, but don't expect me to be the type of girl who's going to sit here and wait for you. So, you know, there's all this stuff going on for him. And it's really sort of trying to bring together how he is going to grow into being a Spider Man because let's remember, he's still a teenager. He's a teenager in high school with a lot of things going on. He's probably still got some trauma left over from some of the horrific things that happened to him in the previous arc. I think they are trying to build off of that to show that it's not all, it's almost like a heroes in crisis type thing. You remember that where people need a, a place to sort of unload the the trauma and the stress of what they actually do. And it's not just, uh, okay, everyone, you, you go through PTSD and then you save the day and then everything's fine the next issue. Um, I think they're leaning into that. Shout out to the to the death of that crap ass costume he was wearing in the previous arc. Anyway, um, so now having said all of that, there's also a new big bad in town who is really gunning for him and all of his friends, um, and it's someone he kind of knows but is not suspecting. And I think they got their first victim in the end of his issue. Um, and I am very much looking forward to seeing what goes next. Anyway, that's my lightning round. Shout out to Okay. I'm waiting until the dead lucky is collected in trade to dive into that. But every mm -hmm. time you talk about it, you make me more and more excited to go and check it out. My I'm question really for it. you is what? I'm really enjoying it. I really am. I, I can tell. I can hear it in your voice. Okay. The last time you saw a Latino, a, a biracial Latino Asian character. <laughs> I can't say that I have maybe ever. At least it. not in not in the well, well maybe that's not true. It's few and far between. Right, but let's go with that. It's good to see it. Here's my question. Uh -huh. and, and I apologize if I've asked this before, but I really want to know. I have been out of the Miles Morales loop for so long. Um uh -huh. probably since like the Bendis era. Um <laughs> maybe a little bit beyond that, but it's been a long time. How lost am I going to be if I try to pick up 
this Miles series because I really do miss that character and kind of want to dive in. So it's later the same day. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so what? What? He's, first of all, I think when the Bend we talked about this a little bit before when the Bendis run happened when he was still in Ultimate in the Ultimate Universe. And when he shifted over to the 616, I think he was 11 or 12 at the time. He is now 16 um, in this book um, and has grown and become a much more confident character and has gone through some things family-wise. Yeah, family-wise, restructuring the way he relates to his family some of the relationships that weren't so great before it's all sort of play and also his relationship to peter parker has taken some some changes it's still positive but it's not necessarily the um the batman to his robin scenario anymore he's like nah you do it your way i'll do it my way but still 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 the family unit is mostly together i don't want to spoil anything just in case there are surprises yeah they're, they're they're actually it's expanded Oh, good. Um, so it's it's there. Um, and he's got a really good group of supporting characters that are completely divorced from the I'm going to call it the Parker verse. Um, he's not he's not relying on the Parker. He's got his own world now. He's got his own world where essentially there is really no need for a, you know, Peter Parker or a Jessica Drew or anyone to to show up there because he is a different Spider-Man. He is a Spider-Man. For, I mean, I'm not saying this as Aaron. I'm saying this as someone who's repeating what was said in the book. He is a Spider-Man for the parts of New York that the Avengers don't normally go to. That's hmm. great. Um, and you know, and and that's how he is now seen by characters in the book and by the 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 people that he serves in the book. He's seen as the Brooklyn Spider-Man, the the, the Harlem Spider-Man. He's seen as that Spider-Man, because they've said in a couple of issues, you know, we don't usually see the heroes up here. (laughs) You know, know, He's got a different congressional district, right? (laughs) Correct. (laughs) Correct. It's like him and AOC. Um, Exactly. So it's, I I can't say you're going to, you're going to pick it right up, but the foundations of who Miles is, is there. He's just a more mature individual now. He's gone through some things. He was, you know, if you remember from the Bendis run, he was always nervous and uncertain of himself and, you know, still coming into his own and growing into his body and growing into his powers. Now he's he's like, no, nah, I got this. He's like, I'm good. He's much more confident. Um, much you more think confident it's because it's hero. post into the Spider-Verse movie? It could be. It could be. Um, yeah, he definitely does feels like a... Like if you were to, to to if I was to go back right now, I, I probably wouldn't recognize that Miles. But the foundation of who he is is there because the family is still there, the the mom and the dad who support him and they know yes. his identity, you know they know who he is, um, the uncle Aaron, um, and a new little addition to the family. He's got a little sister now, oh, um, who he he loves and adores. Um, so yeah, it's 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 there. You it would it would take a little adjustment, but you'd catch up. All right, I I think you've convinced me. I'm 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 gonna do it. It's a good book. It's a good it's a it's a good character arc. You know, Miles just becoming a different. It had to happen because we've said this before. There are so many Spider People in the, in the Marvel universe. Yeah. Um, and they all seem to, especially when they do things like Spider Verse or the what is it the 
one of those storylines where it's always like the spider totem or whoever, they all lead back to Peter Parker. Um, and I think in doing that, it diminishes the other characters um, because it seems like they're just sort of like um, like supporting characters or understudies to Peter Parker. And, and he, I can't remember in which arc it was. I think it was, um, oh God, I forgot who just wrote him, um, who just wrote him before Cody Ziegler. Good God. Um, Al Ewing, I'm sorry. There you go. Um, he made it clear, I am not Peter Parker. I do not need to call Peter Parker for help for to, to come save me. I will not call Peter Parker to come save me. Um, we're still good. We're still boys and all, but I am this Spider-Man. Period. And so, you know, he, he establishes that and then just takes things on. He will go up against, even though occasionally he has had to go up against Peter Parker villains, the Rhino and things in the Scorpion and all that stuff. He takes them on as the way he would. Because remember, he's got some powers that Peter Parker doesn't. He's got a couple mm-hmm. of powers that Peter Parker doesn't have. So he, he approaches things differently. He uh, can still go yeah. invisible, right? He can still go invisible. He's he's uh, amped up that venom blast. Yeah, yeah. Um, quite a bit. So yeah, it's it, they become very significant parts of his his arsenal. So yeah, it all works out. And he's he's just, he's equally as smart. Yes. What um? This is a weird question. What were you playing the other day when you were on PlayStation? I saw you were I on, but Last I didn't check. Us. Oh, you were. You were. Okay. Yes, I was playing Last of Us. Yeah. You know that new game. That Did you watch out? the first episode? I have not. I want to get a little bit further into the game. All right. Yeah. I yeah. I uh, I'm looking forward to that. I'll probably have some more to say about that next week. I saw it up there. I haven't seen it. I first of all, I forgot. I've lost track. I've lost all track of time. For some reason, I thought it wasn't coming out until like the end of the month. Um, and then I no. looked up. I opened up uh, and saw that it was sitting right there. I was like, oh, okay. So there you have it. Quick Wildcats question, Aaron: Is this yes. related, connected, sequel? Not related to the old Jim Lee? Was it Brandon Choi back in the day? Yeah. I honestly, I don't think it's co- it's connected in that it's using the characters. I, it's not connected. I think it's connected the same way the milestone stuff is connected in that okay. it's calling upon them and it's recognizing them and referencing them, but it's not continuing the story. Gotcha. Um, at least from what I can tell, it's sort of starting a new story. Um, that helps. I yeah. might I might be interested in joining in. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. probably not. There have probably been. In issues three issues in now, there's probably been two appearances of people from the main DC universe that we would you would know, and I think collectively between them they had two words <laughs> stated. Perfect. That's yeah. Literally it. Like literally it. Like one panel. There they are. Yeah, we're out here, and <laughs> then that's it. So they so, really are trying to establish themselves as something different. Right. And a new reader then can jump in a lot more easily than if they have to deal with yes. uh, continuity from 30 years ago that is basically out of print. Yes. I, I don't feel as though, I mean, if I'm missing something, I don't know it because there is a fully formed storyline that's being created here. So That's awesome. Um, and it's just fun. Like I said, it's just fun. It, it, just, it really just, I don't know, their, their relationships and the way they go at each other and it's just fun for me to, to watch it play out. 
cool. Good stuff. Yeah. All right, is it my turn? It is it your, is your turn, turn, boss. All right, I think we're actually going to take a little break so that I can re-up my drink before we get to my oh, lightning really? round. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's going to be one of those, huh? Oh, yeah, it's going to be one of those. Okay. So uh, stay tuned, everybody. We will be right back. Through the magic of editing, we are back, <laughs> and I have some bareface whiskey for my Ooh. mouth. B e a r or b a r e? B e a r f a c e. Bareface. Inexpensive, delicious, and all for me. <laughs> so, and that you were shirtless bear fighter and. Yep. It, no, not no. What bear shark? What was the other one? Uh, grizzly shark. Grizzly shark. Okay, right. You're right there. And Gail Simone's a bear. I'm surrounded by bears. I love yeah. bears. And she did King Shark, and, and Mother Shark from Aquaman. That's right. Yep. Look it's all you. coming around. Yep. Um. Yeah. I needed. <laughs> I needed a little bit of liquid courage for my lightning round. Um. I apologize <laughs> to our 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 comic book friends. I don't really have much for you in the way of comics this week. I did do a deep dive into all the daredevil that I missed over the past. It's been a long time. I did not realize how long I'd been away from daredevil. So I read the first issue of devil's reign back when it came out, when I was following Zdarsky's daredevil in real time. And then I don't know what happened. I got distracted or maybe I got into a mode where I wanted to wait until the event was over or I saw how many tie-ins there were to it. And I was like, Oh God, I don't know what to read. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway. uh, I read over the past week, daredevil devil's reign one through six daredevil woman without fear one through three. And then the new, uh, the relaunched daredevil one through seven. So, Devil's Reign is uh, written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Marco Cicchetto, colors by uh, Marcio Menez. I think that's right. And letters by Clayton Cowles. John's talked about Devil's Reign on the show a lot, uh, especially while it was coming out. And uh, every time that John talks about Daredevil, I wish he was here this episode. He makes me want to go back and check it out. And I, I kind of uh chastise myself i feel like i need to go into the confessional booth to say it's been you know x amount of months since i've daredeviled father or whatever um and what you have here with devil's reign is it's taking place after matt gets out of jail his brother is kind of going around impersonating him and stepping in for him uh in order to keep his identity a secret to certain people but daredevil used the purple man's powers, rather his children's powers to basically make everybody forget about who daredevil is only Wilson Fisk has this nagging voice in his head that says something is up. Something, something has happened to me. I can't quite explain it, 
but something feels wrong. I feel like I've lost something. And then he goes into his private vault and he finds a file folder that says Daredevil and it's empty. And he's like, what? So he basically causes a ruckus. He gets Daredevil's attention. Daredevil swoops down and he's like, what are you trying to pull Fisk? And Fisk just throws the file folder at him. And he's like, what did you do? Like, what? What happened? I knew who you were, didn't I? And um, it basically the story goes from there. Uh, Electra is running around as Daredevil as well. You get a lot of cool team up action, both in the streets and in the sheets. I kind of wish that John was here to explain to me what Daredevil's relationship is between uh, Electra and then Kirsten. I think is how you pronounce her name. Um, he's smooching both of them, what? and and it seems very copacetic. And I'm, I I I feel like it's timeline shenanigans or identity shenanigans or something. I don't know. I need I need John to come back to the show next week and explain it to me because every time Kirsten's around Daredevil, things start getting steamy. Meanwhile, seven pages before that, he and Electro were sharing the same bed. And like talking in bed and clearly, you know, post-coital bliss or whatever. And so I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Daredevil's like just playing no. it all up for everybody, giving it all out. Like, what's up? <laughs> so He's a hoe. what? He's a hoe. Bottom line. <laughs> <laughs> so he's Daredevil Daredevil's getting some, Electra's getting some, Kirsten's apparently getting, I guess, to first or second base, maybe. Um Lots of Daredevil love going around, but um, there's a struggle for Hell's Kitchen because there always is. Uh, Wilson Fisk is dealing with having a kid out in the world who is the new kingpin, and he's basically trying to teach him how to inherit the kingdom, but the kid doesn't want anything to do with him. So every time that Fisk tries to do him a favor or put him in a position of power, the kid basically denies it uh, in such a way and wants to make his own mark as his own kingpin. And it's this really complicated relationship. The thing that I've learned about reading all of this stuff is that as much as Chip Zdarsky loves to write Daredevil, I feel like he likes to write the world around Daredevil more because between Daredevil Devil's Reign and with a uh, woman without fear, Daredevil's not in this a whole lot. It's mostly Elektra and Fisk. And I feel like somewhere along the way, Chip Zdarsky really, really fell in love with writing Kingpin because he writes the most interesting Kingpin that I've ever read, where if he made like a a Kingpin solo series, I would happily, happily read it. Um, His depiction of that character is fantastic. And the, the complicated... Uh, relationship that he has with Matt is really cool. Uh, These stories are a really cool exploration of Matt's faith and how he's struggling with that. And he's struggling with this uh, new identity and, and kind of mission that he's put on himself to reform a group called the fist, not the hand, the fist. So the fist is going to go against the hand led by Matt and Electra, who are now the king and queen of the fist and they inherit new powers. And it's this whole thing. Matt's got this big gnarly beard going on. Uh, 
it's pretty wild. I I have to say, uh, there's a, an old acquaintance, uh, an old enemy of Electra's named uh, Akka that's running around making uh, life a mess for her. She is extraordinarily dangerous um, and just really, really smartly written. Anytime that she shows up in the book, she's used pretty sparingly, but when she shows up, the book turns like all to menace and you feel like even the heroes of the book could die at any moment because she's that good. And um, so I like the threat that she presents and that she's kind of just watching from the shadows and only emerges when it suits her, uh, her plan. And uh, I like that. I think that's really cool. So woman without fear was interesting. It's kind of Electra versus Craven. Uh, It's only three issues. I, Honestly, it's it's fun and it's good and it's part of the whole thing, but it's almost I don't know that it needed its own series, but at only three issues, it's a nice little in-betweener, I guess, while they were working on the Daredevil uh, core series, waiting for that to come out. I read this all in a row, so it was no time at all to me, but I'm sure it was probably about a almost two years worth of uh, Daredevil stuff, at least a year and a half. Anyway, say Craven, I check out. Yeah, he I mean, he's in this, but he's he's it do, it doesn't last long enough to really go anywhere. It's a lot of flashbacks with uh Electra's background with Akka and her relationship with Stick and stuff like that and we kind of get to see where she came from and Craven's just kind of there. And I mean, it's well written. It's Zdarsky, like I said, like, you know, playing around in this world and it's it's a perfectly good comic book story. It just, it feels inconsequential to all of the fist stuff and them taking for forming this new team and basically going back to the prison where Matt was held and freeing everybody and taking a portion of them to this new place to be a part of this group. So it's basically Matt taking all the people that he's put away in jail and asking them to fight alongside him. And you can imagine how that goes uh, for some of them. So it's 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 interesting. It's weird. Uh, this first arc, I'm we're seven issues into it, and I'm on the seventh part. So I have no idea how long they're going to carry this fist story out. But Zdarsky and company, like they're just all in on this Daredevil thing for the past couple of years, and it's been phenomenal. You know, there've already been some really good Daredevil runs. Uh, during the talking comics era with the Wade stuff and the Charles soul stuff and everything. But Zdarsky is just doing this in a different way that uh, it just feels so dramatic. It feels like a really good cable drama to me. Basic or pay pay. Okay. That's different. Yeah. Hard pay. Okay. Oh, not hard pay. Yeah. Hard pay. Uh, What else have I got for you? I've been packing my house. I've been packing my house. I'm going to be, by the time that you're listening to this, the next day on the 19th, I will be 42 years old. Aww. I've moved. Tw- this would be my 12th move, maybe, in my life. Oof. I've moved a lot. Um, not, you know, always to like crazy far off places, very much in and around Long Island, New York, but my family moved around quite a bit uh, when I was growing up. And, um, I like moving like I, I, 
I like sorting through things. I like throwing things away. I like donating things, selling things, organizing, um, having a really, really good excuse to kind of edit your life and ask yourself, what do I really need? What am I hanging on to for no reason? That sort of thing. I have gotten rid of so much clutter and so much crap in the past couple of weeks. It has been awesome. I have also packed up nearly the entire nerd room that we have in the basement. So this is all the games, all the game systems, all of the movies, all of the graphic novels, all of the collected works, all the DVDs, all the Blu-rays. Let me tell you something. I am ready to just fall over. I tried not to make the boxes too heavy because I know that, you know, between us and friends, but I can't, (laughs) I'm not as mobile as I used to be during some of these. My last move was six years ago and I remember it going much smoother than this. I've never packed an entire house before and uh, it's a lot where we're living in this, uh, like cubist maze of boxes right now between the living room and the downstairs and everything. And I'm getting a lot done and I love being able to see the progress as the boxes stack, but man, packing up 29 boxes just for the graphic novels, 29 boxes of just comic books. I've decided if I ever move again, I'm just going to burn the place down and use the insurance money. to buy (laughs) Not a bad plan. Because I've been counting all the movies I packed, all the games I packed, all the old systems. Like, I can't decide if I want to keep all my systems or not. I have an Xbox that has just sat there for generations of gaming. And I'm like, why? Because you might Why? I know. What if I want to play Jet Set Radio Future? (laughs) Yes. They don't have that on the store. I need... I need a friggin' somebody needs to reboot the Dreamcast. They need to make one of those nostalgia machines of the Dreamcast with just Jet Set Radio and Power Stone on it and maybe Zombie Apocalypse and I'll be good. Uh, Cannon Spike too, if you please. Um, Choo Choo Rocket was also fun. (sighs) Moving on. Uh, Packing has been a lot, but while I was packing the first night, I decided to do the impossible I saw the other day that Halloween Ends had come out on Blu-ray. It was sitting on the shelf at Walmart. And I said, you know what? We have the other two. I might as well. I'll buy this movie and I'm going to watch them. I've heard questionable everything. things. What's that? This changes everything now because I didn't realize. I, I I had a different vision of this when you were we were talking pre-show now they realize that you actually spent additional money on it now this is going to change my whole response to you so go oh yeah man (laughs) oh yeah no 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 this is a this is a this is a yarn get comfortable so (laughs) i i bought this movie and we have all three of them we own them physically it's great i love them they look pretty on the shelf and i haven't seen (laughs) halloween kills or halloween ends up until this point i saw halloween in the theater 2018 yeah, 2018. Okay. Loved it. Loved it. Thought it was thought it was a really great start to what oh, was I have thoughts about was, that one too, but we'll go, we'll keep going. <laughs> what was billed as no, we can get into it, but like what was billed as a trilogy almost from the start. Uh you knew they were going to at least do more than one. 
I felt like as a continuation of the original movie, it did better than I thought it would. And it, as violent as it is at times, it is somehow the tamer film of the There's trilogy. That. There's that. At least of at least the second one. And so saw it in the theater, really enjoyed it, talked about it on the podcast, put it to bed, whatever. Halloween Kills came out, heard wildly wild, like just crazy things about it. Uh, you know, Bob saw it with friends, came back, had some quibbles with it, but was mostly, you know, mostly I, I remember you being mostly positive yeah. on it. But I kept hearing and seeing it pop up on a list of like worst movies of the year, worst movies of the year. And I was like, there's no way. Like, there's no way. That first one was so decent. Like how bad, how bad could they really have messed this up? And then I watched Halloween Kills. <laughs> oh my God. No one had prepared me for this movie. I don't know what happened. It's the same director. It's the same writers, it's the same executive producers, it's the same actors. What happened? This movie, this is all, this is all me. This is just for me. I was embarrassed for this movie. I liked, I liked the concept that they introduced at the start, by the way, if you're listening to this, I'm about to spoil Spoilers. the living crap yeah. out of <laughs> Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. So I if you when that was coming. Yeah, if you have interest in seeing these movies, um please just fast forward or whatever, skip around. Uh this might take a little bit. Uh and I'm probably gonna fly off the handle when we get into it. So okay, here's the deal. <sighs> Halloween Halloween Kills picks up and Everybody is aware that Michael Myers is back. They've heard the stories. They've seen the bodies. They know. The house is on fire at the end of the first movie. We rejoin him inside the house in the basement. Fires, you know, eating the house up. One of the firefighters comes up. He falls through the floor. Michael gets him. He gets another guy. Basically, another guy and another guy. Yeah, another guy and another guy. And pulls his way out of the basement. And there's this badass scene of him walking out of the house, out of the flames, as this this army of firemen who are highly trained, you know, ready to deal with just about anything, rushing into danger the whole bit. And he comes out and he's he's carrying one of their like pickaxe style uh, pry bars or something. And he walks out and he's looking all badass. He's all burnt up. He's smoking a little bit. And they've got like buzzsaw blade openers and everything for bad situations. And they just, they see who he is and they're about to go to town. He just takes care of everybody. People just getting myrtleized left and right. Extremely <laughs> violent. Myrtleized. Yeah. Him like putting, you know, whole things through people's faces and they film it in such a way that you're behind the visor when they do it. And it's kind of cool. And I'm like, yeah, like this is this is this is great. Like this is all right. Like this is a hell of a way to kick the movie off. This isn't bad. What the hell is everybody talking about? I wanted to be the guy. I wanted to be the guy that watched this movie and came back and was like, what are you all talking about? It was great. They did this. They did that. It was fantastic. 
It would not be. And I'll tell you why. Because they introduced this element to the movie that I thought was very cool at the beginning, where they're all aware that he's back and he's just killed a whole bunch of firemen. Like pretty much the entire Haddonfield department is annihilated and laying in pieces on the ground of this of uh, Laurie's old house. And so this becomes a movie about the town of Haddonfield banding together to find him and kill him. They've had enough. They know who he is. They want it to be over and done with. I liked that as a concept. In execution, though, where this movie fails for me is that everyone living in Haddonfield, with the exception of Laurie Strode, is an idiot. An idiot. These people were so dumb. Like, you take the mob mentality trope and you just crank it to 11 and you you get I remember what they were chanting but oh my god something uh evil, evil dies, dies tonight. tonight evil dies tonight evil dies tonight and people just on the second time that it comes out of his mouth they're all chanting and oh come on you could have done better than this Laurie Strode spends the whole damn movie in a hospital bed well that was pretty Halloween much too if you remember 1981 as well yeah yeah but their- we're, we're 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 remaking it It, jamie lee curtis i you know i I didn't buy the ticket to take the ride with jamie lee curtis sitting (laughs) in a bed for 85 percent of the movie um allowing her her daughter and her daughter so her granddaughter to kind of take center stage in this one um i don't like them as characters, I found them to be extremely one dimensional uh, and poorly written throughout pretty much the entire ride uh, between all three movies. There was maybe some promise in the first one, but nobody ever learns anything in these damn movies. And they're certainly not appreciative of the, the warnings they've been given in the past. But anyway, the whole setup is squandered for me because the setup of these people is just incredibly dumb. They spend half of the movie going after an escaped inmate from the Haddonfield mental hospital with a character boldly telling them the entire movie that it's not who they want. It's a different person. That's not Michael. It's not him. Don't go after him. And they spend more than half the movie going after him anyway. Uh, And it is a maddening thing that I think was maybe trying to say something uh, certainly about mob mentality and how dangerous it can be. Okay. Maybe uh, some bad comments about mental health, but it ends and it just doesn't go anywhere. All right. Michael Myers at one point in this movie kills a couple of people and carefully arranges them on a playground set with like jack-o'-lantern masks over their heads well, that's all the lit up. Three reference. Right. But like, give right. me that. But he, 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 let's let's go back to Carpenter's original. He did arrange victims yeah. in a way. So it, it is, but my problem with, with Halloween kills is it is very mean spirited. Yes. Extremely. Time. Yeah. It, it's extremely mean spirited. It's extremely random. Yes. You know, like I remember him having a having a mission to get back to the people that he intended to kill not just walking into houses arbitrarily to grab a new weapon and kill everyone on the way out. 
the the death scene of him taking out the couple inside their house and I then grabbing that. the guy and bending that. him over the table and just taking one knife to him after the other. Him it was times, yeah. It was more gratuitous than the Rob Zombie Halloween movies from Agreed. from you know however long ago. Um, I didn't like those either, but it was so it was so mean spirited and so pointless and so gratuitous that. I I wasn't into into that aspect of the movie. Um like I said it pays the way for for the other strokes to take center stage. I wasn't really too thrilled about that. Uh they're hardly characters in my in my book. Uh Ends was not much better. The third film was not much better, but at least they take a really wild swing with it. I don't know how successful it is and I'll make a point about that in a minute, but if you've not seen Halloween ends, I'm about to spoil a very, very big part of this movie. So if you have any interest in seeing this movie, don't listen to this. Okay. So at the end of Halloween kills, Michael Myers gets messed up. He gets murdered. He gets murdered by the people of Haddonfield. They mess him up to the point where he has to like slink away and basically hide himself underground Mm -hmm. in the sewers of Haddonfield surviving off of God knows what, if he even needs to eat, I don't know. Um, but he's down there. And so the movie opens up and it focuses in on a male babysitter who is babysitting this really terrible kid. There is an accident and he accidentally kills the, the kid dies. Um, he gets knocked off of a banister, falls, you know, uh, a story down inside the house and lands on his face and the kid dies. Um, it's tragic. It sucks. And it basically labels this character, you know, it follows him for the, for, for however long since it's been, since that happened where everybody knows him in town as, you know, the kid killer and stuff like that. Uh, and so he's constantly picked on and they're, they're setting him up as, you know, the disenfranchised and all of that. He gets the the living shit beat out of him and thrown off of a bridge. When he lands from falling off the bridge, he lands next to the sewer opening. Michael Myers grabs him, basically, or pulls him inside or something. He feels a pull toward the, the sewers. I don't remember what the hell happened. Point being, he runs into Michael Myers in the sewer. Michael grabs him from the other side of a wall, and they lock eyes. And when they lock eyes, there's almost like a like a transfer of consciousness or a transfer of memories or power. I still don't know. I've seen the entire movie and I still don't know. But basically what he does is he turns this kid into his own Renfield where kid goes out and positions people near the sewer so that Michael Myers can grab them, pull them in and kill them. And as he kills them, he like absorbs the the fear of them dying, juices him back up. So, you know, pre-kill, he's all haunched over and, you know, dragging his legs and broken and whatever. He kills this one guy and he stands upright and he's, you know, he's ready to go. He's ready to, to go about town and do what he's going to do and whatever. And... So the movie continues and the the babysitter kid, he's going around. He's becoming more evil. He's killing people left and right, uh, taking out people who have picked on him and everything like that. Lori's granddaughter is finds like identity in him because the two of them are these uh, town pariahs because of who they are and what they've been through. 
They're falling in love. Didn't believe any of it for a second. Uh, she blows up at Jamie Lee Curtis at one point in the movie and points a finger and tells her that she ruined her life. And I'm just like, oh, no, you did not. You did not. The one person who has tried to save your ass your entire life and you're going to come at her like this? I don't think so. Laurie Strode's going through some weird stuff where she's writing like a survivor's book and she's, you know, living in home and gardens. And it's just a weird movie. Here's my la- my thing. And then, Bob, you can jump in here. I appreciate them making a wild swing for the movie. Anytime somebody does something bold or whatever, whether it works out or not, I at least applaud you taking the chance. Here's the thing. The plot for this movie with the whole uh, changing of consciousnesses and bringing people into the sewers for him to kill him to get back up to speed or get his, get himself back up to power that's the kind of movie that you drop at like a third movie or fourth movie in a series of eight or nine movies where there's a middle movie that's really weird. And people talk about it years later where they did this wacky ass thing that didn't really work out. You don't use that plot for your final film of the trilogy and take the lead character, Michael Myers, the reason we're all there out of the movie for an hour and 25 minutes of this movie, he is not involved. And I was just flabbergasted at the trajectory of this trilogy and what they chose to do with it as, as these movies went on positively blown away. Still really enjoy that first one. But kills and ends are just a, an exercise in futility. <laughs> I can't. Okay. So go I ahead. I have a question. Yes. Go, Aaron, you want to jump in before I go on my own screen? Go, go. Yeah. Mine is just a quick question. I would like to know, you know, and, you know, give two examples of when murdering someone is not mean spirited. <laughs> I'm just curious because I feel like every time someone's tried to murder me, they were being really mean. There's your garden variety, uh, like neck breaker kill from or or your your straight butcher knife to the to the chest. But there's a there's this a couple, scene. This couple is bad. It's bad. Yeah. This. So it, so it was a less humane murder. Oh, oh so no, no, it's, it's forget forget humane. It is into inhumane. <laughs> He grabs the dude from through a window and there's shards of the window left. And the guy kind of gets turned around uh, when he's struggling. And Michael brings his head down onto the window with the shards of the glass digging into the back of his neck. While he gurgles him... his wife to escape and it, it's it's awful. Right. And then he picks him up off of the window, drags him into the kitchen throws him over the middle island in the kitchen oh, very and then proceeds island and their fashionable block of kitchen knives. <laughs> yes. And then takes out every knife from that block. And there Everyone. are many, and you stay with him the entire time of him just repeatedly digging each of those knives into this guy's back as his wife, who was just stabbed in the neck with a Throat light cut. tube yeah. is, is trying not to die. And can't do anything but watch her husband be stabbed by this maniac. It's just yeah, she's leaving got a, the... a fluorescent a fluorescent light bulb tracheotomy. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's the leaving on of the camera. It's dragging out the scene. Um, and it, the thing, like, he's just passing through. And I, I, I don't understand why some filmmakers can't grasp the idea that the, the audience already understands the inherent evil that they're dealing with. We don't need to spend two and a half minutes watching this guy gurgle to death. Like it, it's it was gnarly even for me and I can tolerate a lot. So I don't know. Any other questions? Go ahead, Bob. No, go ahead, Aaron. If you've got a question, go for it. No, no, no. Okay, you may have a question once I'm in here. I'm going to go this sort of backwards to to, to the beginning. Awesome. One thing I do want to say is not counting Halloween 2, which Carpenter produced and wrote and directed some scenes of, all his other sequels, and H2O he produced, and that's, that's something else I'll get into too, the focus of the real Halloween is not Michael Myers, it's Laurie Strode. Yes. That's why the movies work. So the once you get away from that, as in look Halloween 2, the original one too, she's in a hospital bed, as was in the second one here, it does change the focus a little bit, but that they went for the whole family aspect of it. That's that was I found that interesting but I didn't care much for Halloween and uh, kills, generally speaking. Here, though, in ends, I I should, I should, I'll I'll go for it here. Seeing it the first time, I was a little flummoxed by the whole, it was so much the Corey character and not the Laurie character. Mm Mm-hmm. Though now having seen it three times since, once the other day with Ed, whose birthday is Carpenter's, um, I'm enjoying it more than I did before. And I do get what you're saying about that transfer of consciousness, which harkens back to Halloween 4 with little Jamie Lloyd and Daniel Harris. Yeah. Okay, they tease that in the second one about um, the power of evil and the town and whatever. So, okay, I was willing to buy that a little bit. What really caught me with ends as opposed to let's go back to the first one. I I thought David Gordon Green's Halloween from 2018 coming from all those mostly miserable sequels brought the focus back to Laurie and Haddonfield and an evil that we couldn't quite know what was, was happening. My problem mm-hmm. with that one really was survivalist Laurie Strode in a house in the middle of the woods with 47 million guns and traps and firebombs and whatever is not the Carpenter Hill Laurie Strode survivor from the first one. Mm. That character would not have gone to that place. She, The H2O Laurie who hides away and becomes a schoolmistress and still has all the wherewithal to do what she needs to do when that moment comes strikes me as more in character still troubled she'd become a drunk in the years in between and picked on her son josh hartnett and michelle williams is in that movie too amazingly enough all the way back then that's a lori i i can understand and i thought jamie lee curtis here in halloween ends was back to playing 
the Laurie Strode from 1978. I really got the feeling of her emotions, her depth, her caring for others, her problems with her legacy, as it were, as as we're spoiling, right? She she comes yeah. out of the supermarket and there's that woman who had the fluorescent lamp thrown through her neck. Yeah. Is there with her sister. So that I kind of got. The the her 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 granddaughter falls with the other guy. I, I was it was a bit of a reach, but as I thought as we went along, it was more likely. Still a reach, but I was understanding it more than I didn't. I'm the second one. Halloween kills. The violence of it was a was a bit much in that it seemed just. How many interesting kills can we have? Well, that's not a Halloween movie. That's a little they different. They weren't even interesting. The one with the girl with the gun when he kicks the door out of the car and the gun turns around and shoots her in the face. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I... Oh, my God. I want the Michael Myers movie. Like I was saying before, he is a showman. He loves, he's always draping people uh, with sheets to look like ghosts. He's hanging them in interesting ways. I want those deleted scenes of Michael Myers setting up that scene in the in the playground with those people. Like there's one there's a scene in the beginning uh, in the first one with the severed head in the car and the the lit up mask that he he had to physically pull that mask. Right, but we don't ever see the, we head. don't see the setup. So we didn't in the original back in 78. I want I want that movie. <laughs> that's what I want. Okay, but that's not what we saw back in the day. We saw the no, but, that he did it, laser out on the bed with the tombstone, which it is pretty hard to pick up a a, a granite tombstone with as one person. But okay, I'll, yep. I'll go with it, Michael. But here in this one, the um, when he's somewhat more up to speed, and Corey kills the doctor out on out of the pool deck. Yeah in a brutal, awful way with the plastic bag around his head. And he's looking through the window and there's Michael doing the, I can stick you to the wall like a butterfly with one knife thrust. Yeah. We're, we're going back to, I, I like this one more than kills a lot as, as a trilogy. David Gordon Green did something better than what was done in all the years before when we're talking about five and six, particularly. Yeah. Um, John Carpenter is one of the greats in the genre, Absolutely. certainly. And just in general, when when Halloween was out in 1978, they reviewed it for Cisco and Ebert, which was preview, pre, whatever it was at the time. And they were up in the balcony doing the movies and so on and so forth, sneak previews. And they hated it and thought it was anti-movie and violent for no point at all. And a year or so later, they did another episode and apologized to Carpenter and the audience that we can't blame him for all the things that followed. This is someone mm -hmm. who actually loves film. It's suspenseful and wonderful. And there really isn't any violence on the screen, if you think about it, in Halloween, the original. Mm. It's off screen. It's not seen. And his use of, of the widescreen image and music, which he composed and played and all the rest. 
or something beyond anyone else has ever done with, with the slasher genre. And that includes Craven with Scream and everything else. There's none of that without Carpenter's Halloween. That's why it's one of the most important movies ever made in the genre. And at some levels, everything else, it was the most successful independent film of all time. And still might be because some of the other things still had giant ad campaigns. Halloween was made for $300,000. Damn. And when you think of the franchise and how many billions of dollars it's made since. Hmm. Um, so, I, I mean, I celebrate what David Gordon Green tried to do. He got away from the the, zomb- the two zombie movies. That, Rob Zombie movies are terrible. Yeah, I don't like those. Just beyond belief. And really, everything passed. Well, three doesn't count. I love Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, with, with the great Tom Atkins and yeah. where we go there. But it, it's only one and two. And David Gordon Green decided to just eliminate everything and just go from the first one. Eliminate Michael as the brother and all the rest. And I celebrate all that. Mm-hmm. Did he have more than one great movie in him? No, he probably only had half a great movie in him. But his Halloween 2018 works. It really does work all the way through. Once we get to two, the ending of two, we're getting, we're into, there's a death at the very end. I won't spoil that. There's a death at the very end that seems pointless. Mm-hmm. Actually, there are about 12 deaths. <laughs> yep. Kills that seem pointless. Um, I was trying to be nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love the guys who own the Myers house. Oh, Big John and Little John. Big John and Little John. They were they were fun. They were stereotypical. Yeah, but, but we, we get mm. representation in one of these movies that we don't ordinarily get, and they're having fun with who they are, what what the, what their place is in the community, and they get an end they don't deserve either. I'm still upset that my my two characters died so early in that first film and that's the, the babysitter and her boyfriend who gets killed the boyfriend gets killed off camera but i felt still so bad when uh when the babysitter gets it yeah it was it was cool to see the kid that she was as, babysitting as, as the little kid says in halloween ends though he doesn't he doesn't kill kids he kills babysitters yeah um the the final set to set piece battle between Laurie and Michael is brutal and mm. real. And Jamie Lee apparently did 95% of those stunts herself. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I thought that was really well played. It's where you get to. You're not sure where that's going to end, really, because it is Halloween ends. What's going to happen? That we get closure with the uh, policeman who was there, as we saw in the the one before that night, and mm-hmm. didn't and didn't do the didn't do what he needed to do, and then bad things happen from that, and he feels bad all these years. He gets to walk in on the scene that the daughter comes back, that that we get a, a thing with Corey. That procession of Haddonfield, which ties into the, the, the kills movie mm-hmm. that it's the town. And then the sheriff comes back. The guy who denigrated the whole idea of closing down the town because of some nut from a hospital, the guy who didn't lift a finger, finger right. 
the entire trilogy didn't do shit to help at all. Right. Understand something now because of all that's gone on. That's how it's going to happen tonight. Um, it was a good line, but like, talk about too little, too late for you to 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 join oh, the yes, thirty uh, other people have died, particularly the guy in the radio station. You must have loved oh, that yeah. one. Oh, that one was nasty. That was that, gross. That was gross. That was gross. Um, I, I, I mean, on the whole, I would much rather watch. Look, there are different timelines, right, of these sort of movies. To me, I'm fine with, if I'm picking the way I would watch it, I'd watch one, one, two, H2O. I liked H2O. At least I I liked it when it came out. I don't know if it's still any good. um, I saw that in a theater with the people I saw Halloween with in a theater 20 years before. Hmm. And cheering and yelling, and people loved it in the cinema. In the years since, people have taken shots at it, and some of them are are absolutely accurate. That is a lorry I can get with, and the, the lorry with all the guns and whatever. Not quite. I I can I can understand that take of it. Yeah, but the the two that followed, I don't know honor or where they went there. Though again. That and it's a wonderful performance by Jamie Lee Curtis in this one, hearkening back to that innocent Lori of 1978. She wants to bake a pie for her granddaughter for Halloween. She has her daughter's kindergarten artwork on the wall, that that clay tablet. She yeah. gives her granddaughter her parents' wedding ring, her wedding rings to wear as a pendant. It's l- some lovely stuff. She feels really bad when people say terrible things about her. It's such a departure, though, from the Laurie Strode of the D- David Gordon Green oh, the uh, Halloween and, and Kills. Yeah. Well, I, I, I would I would assume that the thrust is since she lost her daughter and her husband. And half again, a whole town. Yeah. That her catharsis through writing the book is what transforms her back into her genuine personality. I think that's a reach in writing, but I, yeah. I was willing to accept that to bring me back a Laurie I recognized. Man, I really like Jamie Lee Curtis in these. I, I wish that I had liked the support cast more because it was it was hard. It was real hard. I'm I'm hearing everything you say, and I do think that ends was better than kills by miles. But I just I wonder what will be the situation where I find myself revisiting it to make another to make another pass with uh, our conversation in mind. It was uh it was a rough rough journey for me. Was uh, it was for me too. We again we saw Ed and Dawn and I, Dawn who guessed it on our show for Halloween last year, 2 years ago, I forget which. It was um, 2 years ago. We we saw those all together. Mm-hmm. And we had these exact discussions in the car at home rewatching it the other night. Um yeah, they are worthy of debate. I'll just leave it at that. There are people who are going to love these. And, and there's the same way that there are people who love the Terminator movies in between. <laughs> right? The Christian Bale ones and, every, and the, uh, Terminator 3, The Rise of the Machines. 
the Terminator movies are about Sarah Connor. They're not about the machine from the future or any of that other stuff. They're about mothers and women and all the rest of it. And when they work, that's where they work. Halloween's about Laurie Strode and her friends, not about Michael Myers. The other slasher movies through all the years, maybe not Freddy as much early, they were about rooting for the killer to massacre people in, in fun ways with special practical special effects. And the mm -hmm. Fango kids, I was one of them, we'd love to see what Tom Savini did with makeup. But Halloween was different. And we could we all celebrated that as a as a film and not just a slasher movie. Was that the nickname for Fangoria subscribers, the Fango Kids? Fango Kids, that was us. Man, you'd you'd buy Fango. What was on the cover? Oh, it's 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 the David Cronenberg fly, and there's his head exploding or scanners. Or Cronenberg oh man, head, right. And I saw the I saw the fly at the Rocky Point Drive-in. Great way to see that, it. Oh man, that movie's great. But we, there was, there's a, yep, Goldblum. Within the, within the genres, you can do art. And that continues to this day. Cronenberg still makes interesting movies. Crimes of the Future was very, very interesting. What Jen and Sylvia Sosca do is really interesting with subtext and whatever, or you can do Halloween Kills. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Just saying. Oh man. There's George Romero zombie movies, and then there's everybody else's zombie movies. Not kind right. of Simon Pegg. I, I will absent Simon Pegg from this. Shot of the Dead. Classic. One of the old All right. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for humoring me here. I needed to get that out of my system. No, it was a great conversation. I wish that you'd caught me on Friday when I was like just on fire from after watching <laughs> these movies. I was all by myself packing up stuff in the basement. I was watching them just what like shouting crap? to myself. Oh, come on. <laughs> Are you gotta, you gotta be kidding me. You're smarter than that. Or maybe you're not. Maybe I'm giving you, you know, more credit than you deserve. Um, Lori is very smart in this ends though. Right. She has a whole thing that we won't spoil. Yeah. She triple deeks on him for yeah. sure. Uh, and the way that they the way that they take him off the board is, I would say, final is a word that comes to mind. Yeah. Like I was sitting there yelling at the TV being like, that is not all you are going to do with him. You need to. And it was really, really telegraphed too that we were going to go back to that site for the fight. I thought that was going to be where the final confrontation would happen. Mm -hmm. But instead, they just ended up there at the end of the movie. But I. I the minute that they put that on camera earlier in the film, I was like, "This is where all the shit's going to end." Foreshadowing, yeah, very, very, a I lot mean, of lot of Christine in that, right? Yeah, but like you can't you can't do anything after this unless you go back to the, like the transfer of power thing that he did with Corey, and maybe he did it with someone else that we didn't see or. The, them taking or the concept someone we, or someone we did it's the it's, yeah i don't know well they were saying how like people around town were committing murder and then blaming it on michael myers saying oh, you know like staging now, did you notice the um there's a show they, they're talking they they do a montage of people who've done terrible things and there's an older lady who's hung herself yes that is the character oscar's mother 
the kid in the devil ears from the from the masquerade party at, at the school. Yeah. Yo, that's his that's mom. That's his mom? That's his mom who went to the hospital to see him. Oh. Yeah, she oh, can't take him. She, she's taking herself out. Huh. Thank you, Ed, for pointing that out to me. I didn't see it the first time I saw it. <sighs> Layers. 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 Halloween. David Gordon Green's Halloween. The Onion of horror films. See it and okay. make up your own minds. I think we've tortured Aaron enough. He's ready. He's ready, He's ready to talk about. It. He's ready to talk about nothing. anything else. I got nothing for this. I just, I, I, I can't say that I've. I, I don't remember any of the movies. Well, first of all, I know I haven't seen all of them. I think I saw the original. That was about it. I don't remember them enough to to be able to recall or anything. So I. If I were to try to watch the new ones, it would mean nothing to me. Because I've missed everything in between. Right. Well, at you some level, are... at some level though, Aaron, the conceit of these of this trilogy is that nothing happened in between. Ah. You go right there from was this period of time. The first Halloween all... to forty years later to twenty eighteen, and we begin that movie. Because there was this time where all those movies, well, more so especially with the Friday the 13th movies, they almost became comedies. Yes. In that period of time. I mean, I mean especially the, you end up with Jason in, in space, which is hysterical. Yeah, there you have it. Yeah. <laughs> Jason X. Jason X. Really the best kill with liquid Jason nitrogen Jason. ever. <laughs> you remember the movie, Steve? Yeah, Friday the 13th. Oh, yes. Uh, um, What's that, Aaron? Tele- wasn't there a Friday the 13th television series? Um, I yes, I mean, there's definitely a... do, it has nothing to do with Jason. It's about mm-hmm. a curiosity shop, if I remember correctly. Oh, you're right, you're right, you're it's right. Like you're right. Some anthology things. Um, there was also a, a Nightmare on Elm Street series, Nightmare Cafe. As well, yep, that's it. Yep. There was, wasn't there another one called like Freddy's Dreams Freddy's or like Freddy's that's Dream Diary or something like that? Yeah. That sounds like something on Cinemax. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be Welcome able to, to see W. <laughs> or Skinemax, so they can say. Oh, man. Okay. Let's move on. Back to comic book things. <laughs> Welcome back to the show, everybody. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed your uh, Halloween minute of Talking Comics podcast. Let me bring the uh, outline back up here. What was that? That was was more than a minute. (laughs) Anybody who wants to, does anybody want to say anything about the new Ant-Man trailer? We've already talked about the first one that came out, but there was a new Ant-Man trailer. It basically gave us a little bit of, uh, we saw MODOK for the first time. Love MODOK. Yeah. Love Extra Kang with some nice dialogue. And and so, no, I, I was in one way or the other, but I thought the second trailer is going to... The first one, as with a lot of these trailers, for the general audience, now we're starting to get into, oh, particulars for us. Right. The nerds, so... Let let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. Do you think... uh, And Aaron, let me me ask you first. Mm -hmm. Do you you think that they're going to Star-Lord Scott Lang in that... He is basically going to make a decision in this movie that will have 
uh, result in like, you know, dire consequences for the rest of the world by accepting Kang's offer. Like, are we going to walk out of this movie hating Scott Lang? No, I think he's going to bite it. You think he, you think, think he's going to go? I think he's going to go. Joey put it in the chat and I was just like, I always assumed that was going to be the case. And then I posted that little review in our chat as well. And well, if you, and this is great radio because no one else listening knows what I'm talking about. But um, I think he's going to bite it. I think this is going to wrap up the Scott Lang little arc scenario there. I, I, I don't, because quite frankly... I feel as though when the Marvel Universe goes this expansive in, you know, for a, I hate to say it this way because it's going to sound kind of thing for an Ant-Man and Wasp movie, they're pulling out all the stuff. <laughs> I, I hear I hear how it sounded, but, you know, when, when you go to such a scale as what we've seen in these trailers for essentially an Ant-Man and Wasp movie, um, it's, it, I, I feel as though you're, you're, you're gearing up for something that's going to have an impact, but I think it's going to have a um, an emotional payoff. I think I think Scott's going to bite it. Bob, I think Scott will bite it. Plural. Oh, you think they're all going to go? I no, think there are a lot of them in this movie, and I think yeah. a lot of them may go. Will our Scott go? I'm not sure. Will we know which right. ones are which when they're dying? I don't know that either. So in case you're listening and you haven't checked out the new Ant-Man trailer, I'll give you the little bit that we're kind of alluding to here. Uh, Kang the Conqueror approaches Scott Lang and says to him in so many words, I can give you back the time that you lost, meaning those five years from the blip from when Thanos snapped his fingers and everybody disappeared what, to watch for a while. Cassie grow up. Yeah. Right. And he missed he missed his daughter growing up and he he wants that time back, especially after he's been in prison and, you know, he's been away enough. And so the idea of turning the clock back, uh, if I could turn back time, that's very uh, attractive to Scott. And it looks like, because it's a, it's a movie, he's going to take the deal. Uh, and then that ends up causing chaos, even after um, Janet told him that, you know, Kang cannot be trusted. But she seems to be hiding a dark secret as well. She was down there for 30 years. Mm. You think they got it on? Let's get it on. Maybe. I don't know. But maybe she also made a deal. I have no idea. All I know is that I'm very excited for this movie. It looks absolutely gorgeous. It looks like it's going to be important to the MCU going forward. There's going to be some... uh, some stakes and some consequences happening here. And well, look, Kang uh Modoc. is our big bad, right? Yeah. Looks like. Yeah, they're they're totally positioning him to be like the new overarching uh nemesis for the uh, this wave or this era of the Marvel universe, uh probably all the way through to uh Secret Wars. Well, Arguably, exactly. even if they take him out, another one can take his place, right? So mm-hmm. That shocks me because Jonathan Majors is everywhere right now. Oh, I can't wait to see Creed 3, man. Oh, my God. Everywhere. Oh, I love him. I love him. He's great. Um, Yeah, super excited about this. Can't wait. It's coming out in February, so we don't have that long to go. And, um, yeah. Do you think they're hiding the Fantastic Mm -hmm. Four in this movie? 
somewhere in this quantum realm yeah. somewhere? I don't think so. I don't know. I don't think so. They keep saying that they haven't cast anyone yet. Yeah. So I don't know how true that is, but I they don't know. They can have a post-credit sequence that doesn't show anybody particularly and still tease the sh- thing. What if they show up at the end? I don't, know. Yeah, I don't know. What about what about Frank Franklin just shows up and he's like, "Yo, I give you a better deal than this guy." Yeah. And he's and sitting on the sh- on the shoulders of Galactus, right? Yeah. I'm curious as to like if they even bring it up, um if Kang brings up the events of Loki of the the series finale of Loki when they killed the other Kang and he was basically like Who remains? Yeah, I think that that will yeah. come up. I don't I think that's a definite yeah, you know, like you probably shouldn't have killed me because the worst one is here. Which uh, he said to them at the time. Yes. Yes, he did. Now, I've tried to yes. tell people, you know, to get prepared for this next phase, you need to have watched Loki mm-hmm. and Ms. Marvel. <laughs> what if? These are now really important to what's going to happen funny next. That you say that. Last week, I was talking with a few friends, and one just out of the blue said that she did not like Black Panther Wakanda Forever. What? Which, in and of itself, was fine. She's just like, I didn't have fun, it just wasn't fun, etc., etc. I didn't enjoy it. I go, well, it was a story about grief, the five phases of grief. Yeah, but I, I wasn't enjoying myself. I go, when have you enjoyed yourself while grieving? Yeah. Um, and we go point. back and forth and back and forth and back and forth about it. And I was just like, well, you know, she's like, well, I don't know if I understand this. or I don't know if I understand that. And then we started talking about other things in the MCU. And so I finally said, are you watching? Because she was confused about a lot of it. I go, are you watching any of the Disney Plus stuff? And she said, no. I go, well. Based on that, I'm going to discontinue this conversation with you because you effect- effectively don't know what you're talking about. So we're mm-hmm. going to move on. No, but um, and, the, and the the flip but, side of that, as we've talked about a, a lot, is that that person's fault, or is it Marvel's fault for not making sure people are as up to speed as they should? Which be? is where I was literally just about to go, yeah. and that made me think: Are we compartmentalizing knowledge? In the, I can't even call the MCU, but in the the Marvel MCU and extended universe that is critical to people's under to civilians understanding mm-hmm. of what's happening in the movies. Right? How many people couldn't couldn't get anything out of Multiverse of Madness without having seen WandaVision? That's mm. yeah. I'm sure there are probably a few. <laughs> uh, probably <laughs> hundreds of thousands of them. <laughs> Chris watched Multiverse of Madness uh, recently and had a time. So maybe they'll uh, we all, tell us about it. I think we all did, but we we will we'll have another fun discussion of it. Again. Oh, you, man. you saw what I put in that chat. I was like, it is taking all of my strength right now <laughs> not to revisit that trauma. But anyway. Man, everybody making me second guess my opinions about these movies. This is why I hate doing movie review shows, because I hate talking about them so quickly after I've seen them. I've had no time to digest anything I saw. But that's just me. Hmm. 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 Even you learn. 
I guess I've been doing this for a long time. I haven't learned yet. Well, let's let's hope we live a lot longer then. <laughs> uh, how do you guys feel about doing a listener question? Sure. All right. I'm we. Uh, what's that? I'm ambivalent. No. <laughs> We got an incredible email uh, from our friend Brian, friend of the show, longtime listener, always sends the best emails. It was really long. It was really long. It was really cool. Sent along uh, some lists for end of the year stuff, uh, wishing everybody a happy new year, so on and so forth. But there was also a question buried in there. What are the comic book series that are continuously so good that you don't think it's necessary to put on an annual list of favorite comics. Like it should just be universally understood that these are the best. So we don't need to talk about them. Like, um, like what many video game lists uh, this year did with Elden Ring. That's very true. The one like almost universally around the table uh, was certainly my favorite game of the year. Uh, since that was almost uh, everyone had played uh, and it's their favorite game of the year. For me, it's Saga and Usagi Yojimbo. Uh, I don't need to talk about them because, like Aaron always says, if you know, you know. Here you go. Thank You're being, you. Thank you very being much. What's that? Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Saga is certainly on this list. That so is the correct we'll, answer. <laughs> yeah. We'll let you in on it. We'll not let you in. We've been telling telling everybody every year. But um, we have an untapped thing of what we're, what we're hopefully going to do once we got the... Uh, Patreon up and going, still promising it, uh, is we stopped talking about certain books during our end of the year discussions because they were so overwhelmingly good that they would have just swept so many categories. So we have what we call the Talking Comics Hall of Fame. And I'm pretty much relying on Bob here to remind me of what some of the titles are. Well, I, that I wish I pulled that thing. list up, but I know Ms. Marvel was in that yep. category. I think Kelly Sue's Captain Marvel was in yep. that. The Snyder Batman. Snyder's uh, Batman was Fra on there. Fractions Hawkeye. Yep. yep. Did we That's put the one. Silver Surfer in there? I think we might have. Yeah. I mm, Maybe not. No, because that was up for that was up for awards. Okay, yeah, that was definitely in the awards discussion. Um, I remember there being a lot of talk about the Mobius strip up as uh, issue. Yes, uh, I'm gonna look see if I have this somewhere. I don't think so, but I, I would will. say once in future. Yeah, once yeah. in future was Wicked definitely something. Else. Yeah, no, no, Wicked, no, Wicked and Divine that one eventually on its final year that that one best overall comic joey will not let us forget that <laughs> i mean it's in the hall of fame now for sure any of the any of the the top dog winners from those years uh are pretty much vaulted uh wonder woman historia i think you could consider in the hall of fame okay here i, I, I pulled here's here's our list at least yeah. the last time we did it batman the snyder capullo run Mm -hmm. Captain Marvel, Kelly Sue DeConnick, Daredevil, the Wade Samney run, Hawkeye, Matt Fraction, David Aha, Rachel Rising, Terry Moore, mm, yep, Walking Dead, Robert Kirkman, and this year's nominees, which was I think 2017, um, Saga and Ms. Marvel. We put the Walking Dead in there. Yes, we did. Interesting. 
Interesting, man. Okay. It's been a long we time. Also, we also had a veterans committee selection that we never got to. <laughs> what was that about? Well, the old stuff that came before we, we had a show. Oh, yes, that's right. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a bunch of stuff. There's there's a bunch of stuff like I read a lot more than I talk about on the show, for sure. I, I typically only bring books that I really like because I, I, I like to be positive. I know sometimes I can go negative on the show, but it's rare. Um, I like to celebrate the things that I love and then the things that don't, you know, really get to me that much. I just kind of let them fade into the background. But um, what's that? Paper Girls just popped in my head. But yeah, Paper Girls is another Paper good Girls example. Would definitely be something that, yeah. uh, Skyward became something like that after so long. That ended up being really something amazing uh, that we we followed on the show for a while. Pretty deadly. Um, pretty deadly is certainly in there. Uh, Bitch Planet mm-hmm. was definitely in there. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there's there's lots of stuff. There is a there's an understanding among the group and and sometimes you know sometimes you don't want to talk about every uh aspect of a book or you want to wait until an arc is over to talk about the you know the journey of those couple of issues overall um especially when like that arc is going to be the only thing that comes out in that year um yeah i don't know i i this is a great question i would be curious to maybe have this in mind for things that we've done in the past year or so and see what we would add to the list um and seriously like you might find episodes of this show where we do rereads of some of the stuff and dedicate uh an entire episode to talking about them specifically that was the plan uh we just never got around to it because we have trouble getting our shit together as you know Uh, and sometimes it took those sort of discussions we'd have them to do a, a whole run of a book whether it was the old book club or um were there episodes where because we were going to interview someone, everyone read all of something and it was, Oh, that was, I get why you talked about that every issue kind of right. thing. Yep. That's what the end of the year stuff is for. Like I'm still, I'm still going through stuff. I'm still playing catch up with everything that we talked about uh, through the, the end of the year shows, especially now that we didn't have to come back with all of our votes mm-hmm. and everything. It's a much more leisurely endeavor to go back and kind of sift through what we talked about and pick and choose. That's why I went back and read all that daredevil stuff. And now tonight when we end the show, when I go to bed, I can pick anything I want. Actually, I'll probably finish black cloak is what I'll do. Um, Oh, it's almost 10 o'clock. It's almost time for uh, the new variants to show up on Marvel snap. I got to go. Um, <laughs> time to go. <laughs> yeah. T- time to wrap it up. Uh, let's talk about the books that we're looking forward to this week. Bob, what are you getting? Well, we have from DC Harley Quinn animated number four, Star Girl number three, World's Finest Eleven, Bat Girls fourteen, big week for DC. Uh, Namor Unconquered Shores number four, Strange number ten, which I think is the last in this run before we get a new Doctor Strange series. Yeah. And my number one book is The Wasp number one. Who is writing the the new? Well, that's The Wasp. That's the Wasp. The new Strange okay. is still Jed McKay, who did Strange with Clea, and Clea is part of the new book. Did you read the new Ant-Man? No. Okay, that was an Al Ewing joint as well. First issue of it was really uh, 
very golden age. It was interesting. Hmm. Um, who did you say is doing the new Doctor Strange book? Jed McKay, who is writing Strange, the oh, series we just did with Clea. Mm, so he's okay, writing the new okay, Doctor okay. Strange. I'm interested. Um, Aaron, what, uh, what, what might you pick up? Well, it's going to be a short week. Um, World's Finest, Immortal X-Men, Batgirls, Wasp, GCPD, The Blue Wall, number four. And then I saw on HBO Max, Batman, Superman, The Battle of the Super Sons is there. Ah, so, cool. Because okay. I wasn't paying money for that. Um, yes, I got to find that, uh, got to get that last of us, check that out before next week. Uh, let me see. What do I got here? I'm, uh, I'm waiting on these for the, the Batman app. I'll tell you what, I really, I almost bought the Lazarus planet. Number one, uh, that was going around the Mark Wade DC event starter that DC is doing right now. Um, I kind of want to follow along with it, but I, 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 now that I have the DC app, I don't know what I can justify paying for the books. That's how they get you. For me, I've got uh Batgirls number 14, Batman One Bad Day, the Bane version is coming out uh this week. GCPD, the Blue Wall number four. Absolutely loved the first couple of issues of this. Uh very Gotham Central uh, is what this uh series feels like to me. Really excited to see where this goes. Nightwing number 100. Stargirl, The Lost Children, number three is coming out. Uh, World's Finest, number 11. On the Marvel side for me is Immortal X-Men, number 10. Strange, number 10. Deadpool, number three. And Wasp, number one. Uh, There's a couple of indies that I might check out. There's a series called Three Keys that I've been meaning to look at. I think it's from Skybound. Uh, Three Keys, number four, is coming out this week. So... I might see if they've uh, got three keys, number one on the cheap and then check that out and then see if I want to continue that. Uh, I want to look at Barbaric number or volume one from Vault. They're starting a a new series with Barbaric this week. I might go back and check out the old one to see if I should jump on the new one. I Hate Fairyland number three, House of Slaughter number 11, uh, Immortal Sergeant number one. This is the uh, uh, Ken Nomura and... um, Oh my God. The the team that did I kill giants. Joe Kelly. Joe Kelly. Thank you, Bob. My God. I can remember for a second. Uh, this is them back together doing another series. So obviously I am super, super, super looking forward to this. We'll definitely be talking about this next week. Uh, another series that I've been eyeing because I absolutely love the cover art to death is something called Chroma with a K. Uh, I believe it's also a skybound book that's been coming out for the last little while. Uh, I might check that out. Mark Millar's Nightclub number two comes out and Shirtless Bear Fighter 2 number six. Have to imagine that this is the last one. Uh, so I will go back and read the whole thing from beginning to end. So Immortal Sergeant and possibly Shirtless Bear Fighter 2 for next week's show. Uh, almost definitely. We'll see. That's it. Is that not enough? That's enough. That's plenty. Does anybody have any closing statements? Anything they'd like to share before we get out of here? I did all my birthdays at the top. Well, I did see, um, I don't know if he's listening, but sorry for uh, your loss, Jeremy Whitley. Uh, 
lost his grandmother this week. Oh, no. So oh, I didn't so know that. with you, Jeremy. Absolutely. Oh, man, I hadn't. Been, I wasn't online like the whole weekend. I must have missed that. That's so sad. Yeah. All right. I'll it have a to... pretty rough couple of days for him. So just thinking about you. I will absolutely message him when we wrap up here. I had no idea. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, wow. That's uh, <laughs> nothing else. Anybody, anything <laughs> well, good? Go. Anything, anything uh, exciting? Happy? No? All right, fine. Uh, we've reached the end of this week's edition of the Talking <laughs> Comics podcast. As always, you can send us your comments or questions through our email podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. Send us your quizzes, your questions, your comments, your criticisms, whatever you got. Podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. Also, go and review us. Give us five stars on the old Spotify or go to Apple Music and review the show. We got five out of five on Apple Music right now. Not a whole lot of reviews, though. (laughs) So they're old. What's that? Apple Podcast. Apple Podcast. That's right. Um, go go leave us a review if you like the show. Let people know. It helps us move up the rankings, helps more people find the show, um, particularly on Spotify. We've been doing pretty well over there. But the more people, you know, people are always like, oh, you know, what do you drop the Patreon? What can I do to help support you? You can go and review us and rate us on your favorite podcast app. Give us as many gold stars as you possibly can and help us move up the rankings. Bob, where can our listeners find you? Old-fashioned email. Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com Aaron, how about you, sir? IG at AJMS70 I don't know where anybody is anymore. I don't know if Joey is online. I guess at Joey Bertino on Instagram. John Burkle, I don't know if he's he says fixes his situation, but I mean, to be honest, do you really want to be on social media these days? Um, Chris is at the myth of psyche. Bronwyn is at shiny baby B. I am at dead underscore anchorus. Uh, and we are also on Twitter and, uh, I forgot the name of the other app. Hive. Hive. And Instagram, uh, go and check us out on there. And, um, hail well instant messenger. Hail instant messenger. Uh, slingo. (laughs) We'll be in the slingo waiting room waiting for a game. Remember Slingo? Anyone? Oh, God. Friendster. Friendster. We're going to end this now. This is getting embarrassing. Uh, Thank you all so much for listening. Be excellent to each other. We'll be back next week. But until then, to be continued.